Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, nine years ago last Sunday to the very day, Louis Zamperini died at the age of 97. Does anybody know who he was? You do, sort of. What's remarkable is not that he died on that day, but that he lived to the age of 97. Louis Zamperini was the subject of the Based On, a true movie from 2014 called Unbroken. Some of you probably saw it. The man had an, ex an amazing experience from first to last. His plane malfunctioned and crashed, and he was adrift with some companions at sea for 47 days on the ocean. Stop and just think about that, just that, 47 days adrift on the ocean. Well, he happened to wash up finally on the shore of an island captured or owned by under the occupation of the Japanese, and he was sent to a Japanese prison camp during World War II for a little over two years, tortured merciless, mercilessly during that time. And yet he survived. When asked, as all prisoners, when they're asked, respond, when asked how he was able to survive under those conditions, one thing that they always point to is hope. In fact, they will tell you that without hope, in other words, when you lose hope, you die very quickly under those circumstances. Old Testament history bears this out. Therefore, also, this truth is established in God's word. You remember that after the death of Solomon, that kingdom of Israel that had become a world power at the time was divided in two, north and south, the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes, Judah and the half-tribe of Benjamin. The northern ten tribes, as did eventually the south, turned to idols and immorality. Both, the north and the south, earned God's wrath. And he warned them repeatedly. And finally, he had enough, and the Assyrians came and carried off the northern ten tribes into captivity without hope because they had no promise from God. They were carried off and went into extinction. They ceased to exist as a people. No one knows where they went or what happened to them. Well, sometime later, the southern tribes also earned God's wrath and displeasure. And God raised up the Babylonians, and they came and carried the, north, the southern two tribes off into captivity in Babylon. But there was a difference. They had hope because they had a promise. A promise to which they could cling. God said, don't despair. Unlike the northern tribes, I am giving you a promise that I will return a remnant to this land 
and I will keep my promise to send a savior through this Jewish nation. This group was given the intriguing title that forms the title of the sermon for this morning, Prisoners of Hope. We learn more about what it means to be a prisoner of hope together with how that term, that name, applies to you and me on the basis of our text for this morning, found in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, the ninth chapter, beginning there with the ninth verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. This is God's word. In fact, we entrust our very souls to the conviction that these are God's words, able not only to bring us to faith, but to sustain us in that faith, to comfort us, to encourage, to instruct, that our God would bless us through the study of this, his word this morning. So we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Some background is probably going to be helpful here. Both the prophet Zechariah and other prophets, minor prophets that we read about in God's word, were contemporaries, including the prophet Haggai. Their books were written to the 50,000 Jews that were returned to Israel by the decree of King Cyrus after their captivity in Babylon. They had been sent back to rebuild the temple. And yet that construction, after they had finished the foundation, it took them two years to do that, that construction had grown to a halt. And so the prophets wrote to them and addressed this work stoppage and more than that, their attitude. Why had the progress stopped? Probably you could identify two reasons. First, because the people that inhabited that area were leery of, apprehensive of a rejuvenated Jewish nation. You remember the Jews had enslaved them, they had conquered them all. And so they didn't really liked the idea of this temple being rebuilt, which they recognized as the heart of the Jewish nation. So they began to harass the people that were building it. But that really wouldn't have stopped them. There was another reason, a greater reason, and that was the people's greed, the people's lack of trust in what they had been told and in the promise of their God. They had come to reason that 
maybe their wallets started to feel a little bit light, but they had come to look at what they had and what they had left to do, and they began to doubt. And then they used their human wisdom or logic, their human ideas, on what they should do. And what would you do in that circumstance? We could kid ourselves that, well, we would just do what God told us to do, and all will be well with us. But now imagine that you have enemies all around you who are threatening to kill you, who want to stop, and, and that you don't really see a path going forward financially or militarily because, will we have enough? So what was their natural conclusion? What would be yours? We have to establish ourselves first. We have to get ourselves established. We have to build our own homes, not live in tents. We have to get the vineyards going and have some way, uh, some sort of income uh, because these people around us have armies and they have an insatiable appetite for aggression conquest, so we need to establish an army, and how can we have an army if we can't pay for it, and how are we going to pay for it unless we have income, how are we going to have income unless we establish ourselves, so it made perfect sense, we'll stop doing this for a time until we get established, and then we'll resume, and I wish we would, we would finish that thought, because it would be informative, and then we will do what God told us do. That in itself should just raise alarm bells, and then we will do, after we do what we think is right, then we will do what God said. The prophet Haggai put it this way to them. Remember, Haggai was a contemporary of Zechariah who wrote our text. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And then see if this doesn't resonate. See if you haven't had this same message in your heart from your God. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. Ever had that in your life? Where you, you, you just, you thought you know what? We're going to make it. We're going to get ahead here. We're going to finally have confidence in God because there's, there's more money coming in than going out right now. Things are good. Listen to what happened to them. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house, Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. In releasing the Jews from captivity, he'd given them explicit instructions. In fact, he had endowed them. You remember how when they left, the Jews left Egypt, they were told to just go ask their masters for their jewelry and their money and their herds, and they would give them to them, and they did. Same thing happened here. Cyrus said, and give these people, when you release them, said to his subjects, give them whatever they want. But here were his instructions. This is from Ezra, another contemporary prophet. Thus says the king Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth 
and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. The God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So you get the problem? God had released these prisoners of hope from their captivity and told them to go rebuild the temple. He had given them all the means to do so, and he said, trust me, go and do what I told you. And they said, well, we'll start, and we'll see how it goes, and then... You can relate, can't you? I can. When our human intellect interferes with God's command and when we, knowingly or unknowingly, imagine that we know better, because God said to us also, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be provided. And yet so often we imagine that we have to be the captain of our ship, that we have to guide our lives and we buy into the world's nonsense that you have to put yourself first because you can't help others unless you help yourself first. Now there's more going on here than first meets the eye. They hadn't just gone there and started working and then quit because whatever. They did see what was going on. They did see the enemy armies and they were experiencing resistance. You remember how they worked armed, each of you have a sword with him while he works so that you can defend yourself. So it wasn't that they would just be working and then the enemy armies would come and surround them and then they would tip over or run away. So they had to actually do what they didn't recognize God's hand in that. Israel's success, they forgot, had always been based on hope, on the Lord providing. And it was that way throughout their history. Go back to the beginning of the Jewish nation, Abraham. God said, I'm going to call Abraham out and I'm going to make of him a new nation because no other nation's going to work. So he called Abraham when he was already an old man and said, take your wife and your family and come and go where I tell you in this land that you know nothing about and I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. Okay. Abraham went. And God said, and I'm going to give it to your descendants. And yet Abraham was an old man, and Sarah, his wife, well past, decades past, childbearing years. And yet God promised. And because of God's promise, there was hope. That's always the theme in Christianity. Old Testament and New it's based always on a promise, not something that we can calculate, that we can clearly see the path forward. Abraham and Sarah couldn't. And yet, they had that child, that heir, long past the time when they could have children. It was based, Christianity was based on hope when Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had a child long after they should have been able to. It was hope in a promise that a virgin would conceive and have a child. 
always on God's promise in which man is to trust. God provides, not man. And that way we're still prisoners of hope because our salvation is not based on what we do or don't do. It's based on what God promised in Christ. So ask yourself, why do you think God always does it that way? Why do you think he doesn't just map our life out for us and make it obvious so that we can just see? Because then it's not hope, is it? Then it's us. And we're so bad about taking credit for something that God does through us. You remember Paul? He is hung up on this. He had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but boy, God, if you would just remove that impediment, I could be so much better. I could do so much better. God knew he had to turn Paul around. No, it isn't you that's accomplishing this, Paul. Therefore, if you're better, it doesn't mean my work is going to get done because I'm the one doing it anyway. So I'm going to leave you with that impediment, whatever it was, because, as he said, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made known by your weakness. Oh, right. When something gets done on this earth by a powerful, charismatic individual, we say, way to go, guy. Good going. When something is accomplished by somebody humble, somebody not very impressive, we say, way to go, God. Thus, my power is made known by your weakness. Go back to our text. God didn't say, you, you will raise a great army. You will be powerful. You will. He said, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. I'll do that. You're not going to do that. I will. Trust me. Go do what I told you to do. Because this isn't going to be the kind of nation you're imagining. From our text, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. A different sort of a kingdom, not one based on man's effort, man's ability. And then that familiar section that we hear at Palms, on Palm Sunday. Their king finally came to them righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's exactly why you and I are here. And that's exactly why we are who we are, prisoners of hope. Because our salvation is based not on what we do, not on our effort but on faith in the promise that God sent Jesus. And the faith, faith and trust in that promise that because of Christ, our sin debt has been paid. You have no evidence that that's true. None. There is no evidence that you've never seen Jesus. There's no evidence that he did what he said he did, that God the Father then said, yep, the debt of all mankind's sins. We believe it because we read it in his word. 
So ours is still that religion of hope. We are prisoners of that hope. That means that's our only hope. Remember when Jesus came to his disciples when he walked the earth and everybody was leaving because he hadn't turned out to be what they thought he was going to be or whatever. And he came to his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? Our answer is the same as theirs. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is no other path, no other way to get to God in God's heaven except through faith in Jesus. You and I then are also prisoners. But it's an interesting captivity, isn't it? Prisoners of hope. Yeah, but that hope frees us. That hope liberates us. We were enslaved to sin. And in that reading from Romans, Paul talked about how, yeah, I still have that sinful flesh. And that, when it comes to dominance, that's what causes me to do the things I don't want to do. And by I, he means that new man in him, that converted new man that longs to do what God wants. So that war is going on. But now we've been freed from the slavery to sin, that old Adam, that was all we knew before we were brought to faith. Now we've been set free, so we're prisoners who are free from that slavery. But again, prisoners of hope, trusting the promise from God, not our own actions. And that is so comforting, so liberating, because like Paul, each of you, I'm sure with me, has to say, I failed again every night, every day. I wasn't going to do this, and I did it anyway. I wasn't going to think that. I thought it anyway. I wasn't going to say that, and I said it anyway. And the Greek there is, is ongoing. It's not, I did it once. It's the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And Paul is so frustrated. As you and I are so frustrated when we can't win that battle consistently, then we consistently fail. And in frustration, he said at the end of that reading, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then the answer, the hope, the confidence placed in the promise of God, thanks be to God, who forgives our sins for Jesus' sake. It isn't me. I don't have to earn it because it's already been earned by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for making me a prisoner of hope, freeing me from my slavery to sin and death, but making me yours. And then, according to that new man, we look at the problem that the Jews had in our text, how they were self-serving, how they thought they could or needed to satisfy their own needs and requirements and desires first, and then they would follow the Lord, and we pray that God the Holy Spirit would Free us also from that, because that's of the old Adam, that's of the sinful flesh, that we have to provide for self first. Rather, as prisoners of hope, we're freed to follow him in his will, to seek first that kingdom of God. And trust that, though we won't always see how, everything that we need will be provided by our God. Of course, that doesn't mean that we just 
forget about work and okay, I'm just going to go stand on the street corner and tell people about Jesus. It means that when we have that goal, when we are his ambassador's witnesses, we can trust him and his plan. Can you see it always? Exactly how that's going to work out? No. That's why you're a prisoner of hope. Trust in that God who promised you. Seek therefore no other way. You are right now on that one path to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Trust that. Seek no other way and trust your God to provide. Amen.